Courtney. Hey, Sasha. What do you call a vampire who likes the outdoors? I don't know. What do you call them? A campire. Oh, oh. it's spoop hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. And as always, you can find us on social media at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram, and you can email us at spoophour at gmail.com. These like are all true facts. One listener did today. They sure did. And actually sort of steps a little bit on my research very oh, briefly no. but, but, I but saw no that worries I was like, because she's gonna love this yeah but I am excited about it because oh. like this is just a good way to start this episode love it and so our listener Caitlin says that I'm kind of surprised Sasha didn't mention the main character from the game vampire <laughs> follows a Victorian surgeon who gets attacked and turn turned when he returns to England from the war the game relies on choices you can you can go full ham. You can basically eat all the people in Yay! a high-chaos, bad-ending type of gameplay, or you can eat none of the people. Caitlin struggled a bit more to beat the bosses and get to the good end, but it was a lot of fun. And I basically, I had too much research from today, but we'll talk about Vampire another time. But that is definitely a good one. I want to talk, if, if we do another, va- a third Vampire <laughs> thing in the future, Make I just want to do Vampire video games. Because there's a lot. Like, when we talk about all these different medias, literature, operas, music, video games are a major part of pop culture, and there are so many vampire video games, so I would love to talk about vampire. And vampire is spelled with a Y. Vampire. You have to say it like that to pronounce the Y. They did a, I think, a remaster, remake, just re-release recently. Mm -hmm. So it's on all, like, modern consoles. And then also there's the School of Night YA novel series and their interesting take on vampires. Caitlin says, it's been a while since I read them and I never actually finished the series, but it does go buck wild, including at one point where the main character, a student, had an affair with a teacher. Vomit emoji. And I agree. Vomit emoji, vomit emoji, vomit emoji, vomit emoji. But it was at the behest of the headmistress. So even more vomit 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 way worse the headmistress asked the dude to do this so she could isolate the main character from her friends boo boo caitlin again brings up the very good point of vampire media dealing with lots and lots of gross icky things that's Um, true and also sexy times you've got you've got sexy times you've got the moral gray area of eating Mm -hmm. people and then you've also got the no gray area, just bad <laughs> of uh, seducing students. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. I love it. 
if and when yeah. we do Vampire Part 3, maybe not next week, but someday, someday. I'm going to need to do Vampires by Region and Historical Vampire Scares, because one happened as recently as the 1960s, and I did not have time to go into it. Yeah, <laughs> there's still so much about vampires that we could just keep going on and on and yeah. on and on. First of all, spoiler alert, we're doing Part 2 of Vampires today. <laughs> I just yes, realized we, we didn't say it. Surprise! Surprise! And- Two, we're kind of due in for a vampire scare because historically speaking, generally the biggest like vampire scares and when people are concerned about it are during times of plague because vampires are associated with disease and the spreading of disease. So we're in a pandemic, you know. I mean, I feel like we're overdue, but also I think like (laughs) we're so, so much in the midst of a pandemic that people are like, we don't have time for vampires. (laughs) Vampires would be like, we're real and everybody would be like, that's fine. But we have a lot Get going in line on right the now. Murder hornets. Yeah, like let's just you know, you can take several seats. We'll come to you in like six to eight months. Mm-hmm. You know, don't expect a hasty response during business hours. Mm-mm. Please take a number. <laughs> like we're all at home anyway. What are the vampires yeah. going to do? They can't Guess, come in if yeah, they don't. You ask. can't fucking come in, dickheads. And we don't want st- strangers in our houses. Yeah, like although one, I don't invite anybody in. One advantage is mm-hmm. that they have masks, and you can't see their teeth. That's true. That would... Okay, listen up, you fic writers and you writers of short stories out there. If you want a spooky vampire prompt, vampire in 2020, on the downside, no one's letting you in their house. Because, one, we're super into stranger danger in the 21st century, and two, pandemic, so no strangers <laughs> in the house in general. But, on the bright side, people are spending more time secluded in the outdoors, like, in small groups, so, like, mm-hmm. not a lot of witnesses. The masks, they can't see your pointy teeth. Like, what's it like being a vampire in 2020? Also, what's go. it like being a werewolf in 2020? Oh, sweet baby werewolves mm-hmm. are usually the ones in the secluded wooded spaces. Mm-hmm. And now they have to share them. Oh, that's so sad. Right? I'm so sad for modern werewolves now. <laughs> They're like, fuck, there's somebody here too? God damn it! When is it going to be safe for them to travel to populated places? Right? <laughs> Poor babies. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? I found out when I'm going back to work. <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. Yeah. I'm trying not to freak out because the pandemic is on an upswing, and by upswing I mean more cases. Upswing, not upswing like it's getting better. No, it's like just getting worse. Yeah. So my hope is that my district decides to backpedal. I think they will. Yeah. Especially as we get closer and it's like, oh, nothing's changed. Yeah. Well, I will say, I mean, I am the last to go in. Like, oh, that's I'm good. In, I'm in the final group, and we don't go back until the end of January. That's good. The spooky thing is the idea of going back to work in a pandemic. Boo. Otherwise, oh, I cleaned my gutters. <laughs> Nothing spookier. Gross shit comes out of gutters. I should do it more often, because the oak tree and pine tree that are growing oh. in the... Not our lot, just like an empty lot next to our house, basically turned into compost in our gutters, and I found a plant growing with Aww. roots and everything, so I, I nice. transplanted it to the ground, but it was oh. definitely, like, the grossest thing that I had to do, so... Sure. Yeah. We recently had our gutters cleaned. I just, I paid someone to do it because we don't have a ladder, and also, no thank you, and... I forgot the day that he said he was coming, <gasps> and so I was sitting here working from home, and, and all of a sudden, I hear footsteps above me, and I'm like, son of a bitch, someone's in the attic. He's in the attic, nope. <laughs> and then I was like, oh wait, no, I paid for gutter cleaning. 
That's so funny. <laughs> this was weeks ago, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> anything else spooky happened to you? <laughs> well, I'm I'm feeling very autumnal today because it finally cooled off again and hopefully yes, this it time did. it stays. I'm going to get another fucking migraine, but um, I'm wearing my, my favorite season is the fall of the patriarchy shirt. I have a glass that's just straight apple cider, not alcoholic it apple cider. Booze. Yes, it says more booze, please. It's a wine glass that my mom <laughs> got me for Christmas last year. It's so cute. It's so cute. I love it. And I realized we're in the Halloween season and I hadn't used it once. So now I'm drinking apple cider out of it. Aww. And the other spooky thing that happened to me, I was video chatting my mom yesterday and I was at my fellow's place and he has a rubbing from shit. I think it's some cathedral in the UK that his sure. mom did while she was traveling. It's just like a big rubbing of like a night you oh. know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Do like, I've you done know, that like, before, yeah, when I went to yeah, England, yeah. yeah. It's that, but it's like, it's like a life, almost life-size knight, so he's like, you know, four feet long, <laughs> and whatever, and while I was on the call with my mom, I was walking with the device I was using to chat, and I walked past that painting, and my mom goes, that was spooky, what's behind you? And I was like, <laughs> what? And I turn around, and I don't see anything, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, she's like, it looked like there was a person behind you, what are you, what, is-? and I turn around, <laughs> and I go, you mean this? And I move, the- I move the camera, and there's the dude, and my mom's oh my like, God. oh, because, you know, it was a little dark, because I hadn't lit yeah. the hallway light, and so it was just, it was just spooky, mm-hmm. I'll have to get my fella to send a picture of the rubbing, <laughs> so we can post it on the Instagram, but... <laughs> I spooked my mom. That's the spoopy thing. (laughs) Yeah, I like my, I got a new webcam and it's a little bit wider and so you can see how messy my office is and my kids can see like what kind of disarray I'm in. Mistake. (laughs) But you can also see my door and I've been keeping my door shut because of, because my office got messier because we just like threw a bunch of boxes and storage stuff in here. Yeah. And I haven't had a chance to like reorganize it because everything is terrible and there's so much stuff and I keep saying yes to things even though I could say no. Ordinarily it would be a yes, Ordinarily it'd be great, yeah, but... When, yeah, things are unprecedented and, yeah, and it shows. If you don't want to spend your free time cleaning your fucking house, you don't have to. Right. We get it. (laughs) Things are hard. Don't clean if you don't feel like it. Like, don't live in filth if you can avoid it, but, like, you know. Take a breather. So I st- started shutting my door. Some the pets wouldn't knock stuff over or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before I did that, when my office was neater, I had the door open, and every once in a while, I would get someone in the chat being like, "Someone's behind you," and I'd be like, <laughs> "What?" And it was just Jack walking to his office, or someone will be like, "Dog" or "Cat," and it's because the, one of them was just like in my doorway, just watching. <laughs> Are your Friday kids fun? They're okay. Yeah. Would you consider, because it's the day before Halloween, having Jack put on a spooky Halloween costume (laughs) and just, like, standing behind you and you turning around being like, what? I don't see anything. And then, like, turning back and starting to teach and then he takes, like, a step closer (laughs) and then just, like, pops up with a happy Halloween sign. (laughs) We'll see. I was thinking, we do have, we have an early release on Friday. Oh, nice. Because it's the end of the quarter and they want to give us some more time to work on grades. Solid. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Love it. Yes, please do. Report back if you do. (laughs) Or I'll, like, turn on the session and leave my room, Mm -hmm. and I'll put on the costume, and I'll sneak in. Ooh, yeah. You just be like, oh, hold on one second. I gotta go grab something. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a teaching-at-home teacher, and you were looking for something fun to do with your kids on Friday, you're welcome for the fun and harmless prank idea. We are doing a costume spirit day on Friday. Oh, that's cute. So I will be dressed like a witch. Although... (sighs) Since my kids don't turn on their cameras anyway, I don't know if any of them are going to (laughs) participate. Oh, hopefully they do. (laughs) Uh, Spirit days are so much fun at school because people get to dress up. When you do them online, only the teachers dress up. and It's not the same. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like performing to no audience. 
Aww. Anyway, we're talking about vampires again. Blah. Blah. Today, I will be talking about notable female lady vampires. Love it. Including at least one queer-coded one. Hey! Yes, I am doing some history, so I'm going to do two historical vampires. One's a revisit of a topic from a previous spoop hour that wasn't on vampires, and we just didn't connect the dots that obviously this is a vampire. (laughs) And then one on Mr. Dracula himself, Vlad the Impaler. Oh boy, that dude loved impaling. And then I'm going to do some of the ways you can repel vampires, and when possible, explaining why that works. Cool. So... Cool, cool, cool. Also, just realized, this is our closest to Halloween episode. So happy Halloween, oh, you guys. Happy Halloween, yeah. Also, yeah, because... Have... Oh. Oh, I felt my blood pressure drop just now. Next episode is dropping on November 3rd. Yes. Yes. Oh. So oh. make sure we've got a week make left. Make sure you vote. Make sure you have a plan to vote. If you haven't voted already and you are mm-hmm. able to vote... Ugh. Make your plan. Go vote. If you're in New York, vote for Biden on the Working Families Party line. It's still a vote for Biden, but it encourages the Democratic Party to move left and support some cool initiatives. So if you're in New York, do that. Otherwise, make your plan. Go vote. Be safe. <sighs> Hang in there, y'all. It's it's going to be a bumpy one. going to be a bumpy one. Yep. It's going to be a bumpy one. Bumpy is right. Anyway, happy <laughs> Halloween. I made the executive decision that this year, because it's a pandemic and time means nothing. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everyone right now, you can extend Halloween like three weeks. So if you wanna extend Halloween until like the week before Thanksgiving, you can. I give you permission. Yeah. So it's Halloween all November, pass it on. I, basically I'm not putting my Halloween decorations away until I start putting up my Christmas decorations. Yep, and that's gonna be how I do it. Yeah. Yep. So do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> Happy well, Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start us off talking about Carmilla, who is probably one of the most famous fictional female vampires. Yay! Though we will learn eventually, she actually is not the first, but she is probably one oh. of one of the early, she's an early one. Yeah. She has also become sort of a lesbian icon, particularly Yay! in modern, <laughs> modern reworkings like the Carmilla web series. The original story, though, had a more equivocal depiction of the sapphic vampire than some of the later versions of Carmilla, as she's been adapted and included in other pop culture sort of spinoffs. Penned by Sheridan Le Fanu in 1872, it centers on the mysterious Carmilla, Countess of Karnstein, who arrives on Laura and her father's doorstep after a carriage accident. This is lucky for Laura, who is a young lady growing up in a lonely castle and lo- longing for company. Carmilla is beautiful and adores Laura, but she sleeps ev- late every day and seems to stay up all night. Plus, sometimes she gets Uh-oh. very grumpy. Uh-oh. Laura- Uh-oh. <laughs> she I see where this is going. She stays up all night. <laughs> <laughs> Carmilla just is one of those people who's a night owl. Yeah. That's what it is. What it Does is. she work a night job? I bet that's it. Yeah. She works like night shift somewhere. <laughs> I figured it out. Well, she's a countess, <laughs> so I don't think she works anything. Oh. <laughs> she just stays up all night doing her reading and her I mean, sewing and among stuff. us, if we were a countess who didn't have to work, whom among us wouldn't stay up doing our reading and our right. whatever? Right. Yeah. You know? Exactly. 
Laura and Carmilla's friendship quickly gets intense, and strange things start occurring, including some disturbing dreams featuring giant cats and <gasps> Carmilla in a bloodstained nightgown. It's all that very fine. It's all very sapphic, and there's also a very strong air of tragedy and longing. And this story is the origin of the lesbian vampire, a trope that basically reached its zenith in the infamous 2009 Matthew Horne and James Corden movie, Lesbian Vampire Killers. Apparently, that film should have killed James Corden's career, and somehow it didn't. That James Corden? That James Corden. He was in a comedy duo called Horne and Corden. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have questions. One, lesbian vampire killers. Are they lesbian vampires who are also killers, or are they killing lesbian vampires? I think it's lesbian Because one I'm cool vamp- with. I think it's lesbian vampires who are killers, but I didn't look too okay, far I'm into okay it, because most of the articles about it is like, how did this movie not kill James Corden's career? A retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Ultimately, though, Carmilla is revealed to be a blood-sucking fiend who is staked, beheaded, and burnt in a climactic scene, which makes it clearly clear exactly what ladies stepping outside of the clear lines of acceptable social behavior can expect, right? This Boo. is your tropes of not just female decency, but, like, a boo on lesbianism. Right. When we think about, like, LGBT literature throughout pretty much up until the last 15 years... Your gay characters always had to die. You're yep. just burying your gays, and yep. it was particularly very bad for lesbian stories. Yeah, sort of a, you can have your gay, but we're going to kill them. So there, there was a lot of that in my queer literature class yeah. in college, where it was just basically like, yep, everyone's going to die. And then after I took that class, I started seeing gay characters surviving in YA, and then now, yeah. like, gay characters can survive on TV. Yeah. And it's it's great. I mean, not that they all survive. I remember watching something with Jack recently. Can't think of what it was anymore. That's yeah. how memorable it was. But <laughs> I, I remember, like, we were about to go to bed, and it was, like, two or three hours after we finished watching it, and I went... Oh no, that movie was definitely in the barrier gays trope. And then Jack was no. like, oh God, because I taught him about it and now he knows what to look for. And it's just yeah. like, damn it, we can't ex- have nice things. No, we can um, let them live now. Like, let your gay characters yeah. live, let them thrive. The gay people get happy endings too. You what know, it's it not that? 1940 now, this is anymore. Drive this is going to drive me nuts because I don't know what <laughs> I'm going to think of it in like 40 minutes and then you're going to go, yeah. oh, fuck. But yeah, but then it's also like, again, these like social, social expectations for women at the time. This book was again written in 1872. They're still like, women can't be happy kind of thing. (laughs) Well, Um, you know what happens when women are happy? They get like independent thoughts and use their brains for stuff. We can't have that. Right. It's still that punitive idea of, like, the punitive return to heterosexual norms for Laura. And basically, Mm -hmm. like, it's like sorry Laura you're just gonna have to like deal with this but there is still like a touch of sympathy and an idea of the queer vampire as a monstrous tragedy so like she's still this like very tragic romantic Mm -hmm. character but yeah it's like the fact that Carmilla is a female character in Victorian literature who even was allowed to articulate her feelings and desires made her pretty revolutionary even Mm -hmm. though the overall text like was definitely still I mean, it's of its time, right? Yeah. But unlike a lot of the other female vampires that have popped up throughout literature, Carmilla is pretty much an all like sympathetic character almost completely. Her love for her 
victim is sincere and her plea to be allowed to exist is very sincere. You can see this a lot in like Angel from Buffy mm-hmm. the Vampire Slayer, where it's like this tortured, brooding, romantic hero that Carmilla mm-hmm. was. But one bonus for Carmilla is that she can rewrite her past as she oh. does in the Carmilla web series. She can leave be- behind a life where she dooms those she loves and is condemned by them in turn and she dies, right? And instead be in this new future version of Carmilla where she is the hero of the story and queer love is setting hearts free and everything is better. So in That's the Carmilla so nice. web series, right, in the Carmilla web series, there is a pair of vampire sisters named Carmilla Karnstein and Matska Maddie Belmond. And they're basically two characters who've been previously mishandled in the vampire genre. Nice. And as a queer vampire, Carmilla is sexy without being overly sexualized, and her relationships with women are never reduced to fetish fuel for a male audience. She's Love it. brooding, philosophical, and she loves women, and she's treated as like an independent entity who's allowed to like be complex. That's and then nice. Maddie, the other vampire, is a woman of color who was added to the show in an effort to be more inclusive, but then they mm-hmm. took basically this character who had been in her original novel a racial stereotype and turned her into a beautiful, powerful vampire on her own. I love that. Yeah, and basically until Maddie, there weren't really any female black vampires in media who Mm -hmm. were treated with such love and care. Right. By their, like, kind of creators, because, like, Mm -hmm. there was Tara in True Blood, but Tara is also treated like crap the entire series. Yeah, so Maddie... Tara really gets... Just absolutely kicked around, and it's awful. Yeah. So basically, Maddie is like, if you wanted Tara to be treated better, that's who Maddie yeah. is. Oh, I that's am nice. very interested in trying to check out this web series yeah. because I'm so curious about how they handle this Carmilla character. Agreed. And then also, <laughs> one more <laughs> thing about Carmilla she is in the Castlevania video game series. <laughs> hey! <laughs> she is a servant in, within Castlevania. She is a servant of Dracula, and her name is a clear reference to this original novel novel Carmilla and the everyone needs to know Carmilla predates Bram Stoker's Dracula by 25 years okay so that's like she's she's been around longer than Dracula right and they wrote about lesbians 25 years before Bram Stoker's Dracula I love it yes I mean it's sad that they you know were like listen up women don't put a toe out of line or we'll burn you but like get it girl so in within this context of this Castlevania series, in 1830, she successfully resurrected Dracula in her Austrian castle, although by that point he hadn't regained his full power. To restore it, they planned to sacrifice the vampire, Horus, uh, vampire hunter Morris Baldwin during a lunar eclipse of the full moon. And basically, like, she ended up having to ba- do battle with his, his son, and she died, but she was Aww. excited, though, that, like... The right to restore Dracula's power was almost finished. She has shown up in other places. In another game, she has a blue-haired companion whose name is Laura, who Aww. is also the central protagonist from the and the narrator of Carmilla. Yeah, she's she's just here and there throughout the entire series. She's also in the anime, and I mean she's she is a bad person, like an antagonist in the anime, mm-hmm. but she's like. She's included in vampire media even today, so I'm like very That's excited so nice. for her. And I'm very surprised that even though she's like one of the 
I mean, she's like one of the oldest and one of the mm-hmm. most fa- famous female vampires. I had never heard of her before today. Me neither. So, like, yeah, I'm like very interested in learning more about Carmilla. Yeah, I love it. We have no choice but to stand. This is amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. Also, how many times have we gone to the well of, it's Dracula, it's Dracula again, Dracula's back, Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. Where's Carmilla's movie? There are so many other options, showrunners, movie people, producers, like there's so many other things you could be doing right now. All right, so all of my vampire stuff comes from Wikipedia, ancientegyptonline.co.uk, Britannica.com, LiveScience.com, History.com, NBC News, National Geographic, The Morton Report, GardenCityHarvest.com, Vampires.com, always go directly to the source, and Necrofear13.tripod.com. Oh my god. <laughs> Necrofear? Necrofear13, when I opened it up, I was like, this sounds like the kind of website we jokingly make up when referring to our sources. Yeah. And yet... I loved it's it. real. Okay. So let's talk about Vlad III, the Prince of Wallachia, who was born in 1431 in Transylvania. Transylvania, of course, is a real place. It is part of the mountainous part of what is now Romania. But back mm-hmm. in the day, it was its own separate thing. Vlad is better known by the nickname he wholeheartedly and enthusiastically earned, which is, of course, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> Vlad was also one of the inspirations for Bram Stoker's classic Dracula, because, you know, obviously that's the only book written about vampires, and there are none about lady vampires, because why would there be? Mm-mm. So, let's dive in, shall we? Quick note about the name Dracula. Vlad's dad actually started the chain that would lead to Vlad the Impaler being called Dracula, because Vlad II, who was the ruler of Wallachia before his bloodthirsty son came to his own, mm-hmm. he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, which was a special Christian military order under the Holy Roman Emperor, because remember, this is like Crusades times, Mm. so pretty much everything was touched by the Crusades. So because he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, coming from the Latin for dragon, he got the surname Dracul. Dracul. Yep. And then we'll get into how that turned into Dracula in just one second. So... Fun fact about the Order of the Dragon, they were often on the front lines of bloody battles as they would clash, as crusaders, they would clash with the Ottoman forces trying to go the Uh other way. So you basically have two people who are like, I want to go over there, I want to go over there. Instead of being like, what if we just go around each other? They're like, what if we go through? (laughs) Obviously, if you're called Dracul, that's going to get you a violent reputation. Mm Because it's like, oh, you're in that Order of the Dragon. I know what your deal is. As a member of Vlad II's family, Vlad III was basically always going to end up serving in some sort of royal capacity. Like, even if he was just like, oh, that's the guy we ousted when we ousted the royals, Mm -hmm. this was pretty much always going to be it. And there was always a good chance of him being violent because his dad was super violent. And it was just a really violent time. Yeah. You know, they didn't have TV, so they were like, what if we just killed each other? It was a real bummer. They didn't have, like, decency laws yet where they were like, maybe we shouldn't kill each other. Maybe we should try to talk this out instead. Yeah. It's like, have we tried literally anything else? And they're like, no, let's just kill each other. Let's just kill each other. It's worked so far. Yeah. Clearly nothing has gone wrong up until... I keep winning because I keep killing everyone. So I don't hear any complaints because I kill the complainers. So (laughs) why wouldn't I keep doing it? It's working out for me. Just great. It's go. It's going great. So not only does Vlad III have a great role model in his dad, there's also some super fun childhood trauma. 
So Vlad II brought both Vlad III and his younger son, Radu, along with him to a diplomatic meeting in 1442. Unfortunately, the caller of this diplomatic meeting, the Sultan Murad II, wasn't actually calling a diplomatic meeting. Instead, oh, no. he was laying a trap. Ah, uh, so, classic trap. Yep, so the Sultan's like, listen, Vlad, you can go home and not bother us ever again. Here's the catch. You gotta leave your two kids with us. And Vlad was like, all right. <laughs> and so he did. He left his two sons with Jesus. his sworn enemies. So not great. Mm-hmm. Other than the almost certain abandonment issues Vlad had gotten, Vlad had a, depending on the account, Vlad had an okay life as an Ottoman hostage. Sure. He and his brother both got state-of-the-arts tutoring in philosophy, the arts, and science. So, like, this is this is cutting-edge education for the 1400s. Yeah. This is sure. as good as it's ever going to get. They probably showed him how yeah. to draw a triangle. Like, shut the fuck up. Let's do this. Yeah. He was also given horseback riding lessons and swordsmanship training, which seems counterintuitive when it's the heir to your enemy, but sure. Yeah. We're, we're keeping them educated. We also want you know. them to be able to fight us <laughs> if yes. we ever release them. I don't... Yes, but there's Hmm. also a pretty good chance that while he was being held captive, Vlad was kept in containment and isolation and intermittently tortured, in Mm. which case he would also have seen the impalement of other prisoners of war. Mm. We're going to check off gun the concept of impaling people to solve our problems. Going home... Would have also been not great, though, because at the time of his being hostage, there was a lot of, like, strife within Wallachia because people were like, we don't super love Vlad II. There were a bunch of power-hungry warlords, Mm -hmm. and they were like, but what if we were prince, though? And so the warlords overthrew Vlad II, and then they killed him, and then they went on to find his older brother, torture him, and bury him alive. Mm. So not great. So, like, you know, if it's... If he'd stayed in Wallachia, 100% would have been killed in this. But mm-hmm. not great to be intermittently tortured. So kind of kind of no winning for Vlad. But we don't feel bad for him because he makes some really terrible choices here in a second. Yeah. After the deaths of his family members, Vlad had basically no value as a political prisoner. So the Sultan was like, I mean, I don't know why I'm keeping you here. It was to keep <laughs> your father in line, but he's dead now. Oh, and the warlords don't give a shit about you. So, like, have a nice life, I guess. <laughs> Sends him on his merry way. Amazing. Vlad III now lands in Wallachia, and he is on a mission to reclaim his father's throne. He's now known as Vlad III Dracula, which means son of the dragon. Ah! (laughs) So he got that nickname through nothing he did. It was just because his dad was Dracul, so he was Dracula. Huh. He immediately (laughs) got to work on his new super violent reign of terror. He's like, I've trained my whole life for this moment. Let's go. After Constantinople fell to the Ottomans, Vlad needed to mount... So Vlad... Ultimately, he seized power back, Mm -hmm. so he's prince again. He ousted the warlords. (laughs) Anyway, so Constantinople falls. This got really historical, but I was having fun reading about it, so I thought you guys would enjoy me yelling at you about it. Yeah, I know. I like to see, like, where this is sort of, like, as I'm piecing the timeline together based on, Mm -hmm. like, my World History 1 knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you can see the dots connecting, and it's like, well, of course this guy turned out to be an asshole. Right. Like, the default setting was asshole in the Middle Ages. Of course he's going to be a monster. (laughs) (laughs) So, Vlad was successful in 1456, claiming the throne for himself. So after Constantinople fell, he's like, this is my chance. I'm going to do it. So he went up against the warlords who had seized his dad's throne. And he was like, let's fucking go. 
allegedly the battle that won him the throne he went one-on-one combat with his opponent and he beheaded him ah i see so it's like okay Vlad, <laughs> oh, God. that's that's one way to do it i put in my notes just in parentheses yikes yikes that's <laughs> and like that's that's a that's a doozy of a of a murder <laughs> i was doing this research at my fella's place and he obviously has you know passing knowledge of vlad the impaler because we all kind of have passing knowledge of vlad yeah, the impaler we've heard but of every him. so often he'd like read something and be like what the fuck what the so that fuck? was one of them <laughs> okay so he's now prince again hooray hooray for vlad vlad's just crushing it he's very happy as the son of dracul but he's like, you know what? I gotta cement my power and I gotta squash down potential infighting and any insurrection among Wallachian warlords. So what if I behead more people? Oh, honey, you were gonna wish he did that. Oh, no! <laughs> so he's like, let's have a fancy banquet. So he invites hundreds of warlords to his fancy banquet. And they're oh, like, oh, no. this is nice. This is like oh, a little no. olive branch. Let's go to fancy dinner at Vlad's. Oh, no. Is it Red Wedding? For dessert, uh, this is directly from my notes. For dessert, Vlad served skewered warlord. This is just Lord of the Rings shit. Not Lord of the Rings, what am I saying? Game of Thrones shit? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones shit. So Vlad had the guests stabbed and then impaled. So just real quick, I need to be clear about what impaling is. Sometimes it means they just spear you from your back to your front. So they like go in through your shoulder and they just spear you. Sometimes it means they go up. So they find a hole where the sun does not shine. And then they ram a wood or metal pole into this. And I put in my notes, a certain cavity of the body where you do not want to get a pole. And then they shove it up until it comes out your neck. No. It's not great. Sometimes to be even more grim, they would use a rounded pole because that would, one hurt more and two it wouldn't impale your organs so you would die slower so you would really feel being impaled so it would take hours or even days for the person to die so when i say vlad loved impaling it's not a fun hobby you guys i wish he had taken up crafting like jesus christ vlad he could have done ah he's vladimir the poker yeah basically vladimir the poker it's like you knew how to ride horses, bro. You learned the arts. Go paint a fucking picture, Jesus. You could have done literally anything, but instead you shoved ramrods up people's butts. Like, For I mean, dessert. Yeah, I was gonna say, real quick, if you were a lady and had said hole, it oh. wasn't always up the butt. <gasps> it's, oh, no. Like, we're joking and I'm smiling, but it's because I am deeply uncomfortable. I, I'm... <laughs> I, mm. This was another of those moments where my boyfriend was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus, Vlad. So, from uh, there, uh, Vlad, mm, Vlad's like, that, I've got mm. a new passion in life. I fucking love impaling. Being in power is great, but you know what's even greater? Fucking impaling people. So, he did it when people tried to depose him. He did it when retreating from battle. Isn't that bananas? It's like, you're fucking retreating. Just get out of there. And he's like, no, I have time to impale. He did it when fleeing from invading Turkish forces who were invading the capital city of Wallachia. He just loved spearing people and leaving them to die. And so, like, his opponents would, you know, chase him and then be like, what the fuck? Because he just left a field full of impaled people. Mm. So, in total, Vlad likely killed or arranged the deaths of 80,000 people, including at least 20,000 of whom were impaled. Mm. He impaled 20,000. Thousand people. 
And we've created him into a celebrated horror character. We sure have, but like, don't worry. You're, you're right now. You're like, I have to burn my copy of Dracula. You don't have to burn your copy of Dracula just, <laughs> just, just hold on. But for like context, the college you and I went to does not have twenty thousand students. So imagine our entire college getting impaled because that's what yeah. this clown did. Ah. Plus some extras. So. Vlad got ousted from power a couple times because those warlords, apparently he didn't get all of them in his first sweep. Sure. I'm sure some were like, this sounds like a trap. I'm going to skip dinner. Thanks. Or like they had kids or whatever. So he keep, he kept getting ousted from power. I think in total it happened three times. <laughs> they He'd just get out and then he's like, nope, nope, I'm back in. This really fuels my impaling people habit. I don't want to give it up yet. So I got to I gotta get back on that throne. So... He in one of the times he was ousted from power, he was captured by Hungarian forces and then held captive for more than a decade. And this was after he'd already been held captive as a kid. Like, damn, Vlad. Jesus Christ. <sighs> Vlad got his throne back for the last time when Stephen Thir- Stephen III the Great, and I put in my notes, a much cuter nickname than Vlad the Impaler, backed right. his successful power grab in seven in fourteen seventy six. So okay. all of this has happened in about twenty years. Yeah. And keep in mind, for 10 of those years, he was held captive. (laughs) So this guy's like 40 and just murdering it left and right. Yeah. Unfortunately, this time, Vlad did not get to hold on to his throne very long. A few months later, while marching to battle, he and his troops were ambushed and Vlad was killed. He was remembered as a folk hero for a bit for his efforts standing against the Ottoman Empire and protecting Wallachia. So for a little bit, he had this, like, folk hero, like, oh, he did it for us, he was protecting us. But ultimately, he impaled too many people to get a warm and cuddly reputation in history. Ah, yeah. So, where does Dracula the Vampire come in? Some scholars say that Bram Stoker met with the historian Herman Bomberger, which is a hell of a name, and Herman shared the violent tales of Vlad's impaling habit. Bamberger may have also shared one of the rumors about Vlad, that he loved blood so much, he would dip his bread into the blood of his enemies and sometimes (gasps) sample their impaled bodies. This guy was the fucking worst, you guys. Oh my god. Stoker for sure read an 1820 book called An Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia, with various political observations relating to them by William Wilkinson, which may be why Vlad's brutality stood out to Stoker more than, say, the general background chaos and violence of the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. There's also controversy over where Vlad's body is buried, mostly because there's conflicting accounts over which monastery has it. But it's still, where's his body? We don't know. Spooky. Stoker also read an article about Transylvanian vampire superstitions, which is so what probably happened is Stoker read all of these things, and then it kind of got mushed in his head. So mm-hmm. he's like, I remember the name Dracula. I remember that Transylvania has vampire superstitions. I remember that there's this super violent dude in history. I remember Transylvania. Done. Boom. Crushing it. He smushed together some histories, a little bit of folklore, and then he wrote the book Dracula. And what's hilarious, and why you don't have to throw away your copy of Dracula just yet, <laughs> if you don't want to. I mean, you can. I'm not the boss of you. In early drafts, the name Dracula was not in it at all. Up mm. until the like the last few drafts of the book, the character was called Count Wampire, which is quite funny. It was W-A-M-P-Y-R. Can you imagine living in a time where you knew about vampires and you were reading a book with a character named Count Wampire and Wampire. everybody in the book is like, do you think that guy's a vampire? <laughs> no. And oh, yeah, that, so Mr. Wampire. Oh, yeah, Count Wampire. That guy rules. He's so nice. I never see him outside during the day, but, you know, 
sleeping habits. And that's Vlad the Impaler, who is an awful, 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 awful man. Ooh, boy. <sighs> so, ooh, let's talk about some other women. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a cool down. So, I, I talked about Carmilla, and I said mm-hmm. Carmilla was 25 years before Dracula. Why and couldn't so, she be the one to blow up? She right? didn't impale anybody. <laughs> <laughs> she just wanted a girlfriend. I mean... Come Can on. we blame her? <laughs> so I'm going to talk about Oniza uh, and Brunhilda, who predate even Carmilla. Okay. Love it. So Oniza is the first published literary vampire in Britain. She was a Muslim woman in Thomas Southey's Talaba the Destroyer, published in 1801. Heavily annotated with the reports and histories of the vampire, the long narrative poem ties itself both to the understandings of the vampire and their basic underlying theological basis. Thalaba Destroyer quotes from a range of vampire sources in the attached notes, including Mm -hmm. Don Augustin Calamay, a Catholic theologian whose dissertation on the apparitions of angels, demons, and spirits, and on revenants and vampires, published 1746, referenced these beliefs heavily. Like another early vampire poem, Giaur, the Giaur, by Byron, the vampiric episode is a small part of a much longer poem set in a predominantly Muslim world. Mm. In the Giaur, the connection to religious othering is made very clear with vampirism appearing as a curse cast by a Muslim fisherman against the titular Christian. But in oh. Thalaba the Destroyer, yeah, Thalaba the Destroyer, the link is like less immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. So Thalaba is a mus- Muslim boy on a quest to defeat demons and sorcery. As many critics before have noted, the Islamic context is not an attempt to depict a realistic or Islamic world or theology, but an exoticized and orientalist depiction of a basically Muslim but functionally mm. Protestant hero. Boo! And Oniza is the woman uh, with which our hero falls in love with, but disaster awaits. Sure. Basically, she dies. <laughs> basically, bitches be crazy. Bitches Sometimes be- they're vampires. Well, so she's not a vampire yet, but he fell oh. in love with Oniza, and she dies. Heartbroken, okay. Thalaba visits her grave only to find her body oh, reanimated and inhabited by a demon. Oops. <laughs> who who makes particular point of telling him that God has abandoned thee. She must be defeated. (laughs) She must be defeated for him to continue his quest. Not only her, but the demon of doubt, which inhabits her, a metaphorical representation of her own role in holding back his quest in both life and death. Once she's stabbed through her heart dramatically by her father's spear, both she and Thalaba are set free as the demon of disbelief and theological perversity is defeated. So that's, like, a very early version of a female vampire in British literature. Mm-hmm. But then, with Oniza being the first vampire in female vampire in British tradition, the Germans actually got ahead of us, ahead Classic of the Britons. Germany. And so poems such as Goethe's Bride of Cor- Corinth in 1797 offered vampiric or quasi-vampiric anti-heroes. But particularly the most notable female vampire was Brunhilde, the demonic bride of Walter in Ernst Raupach's Wake Not the Dead in 1800. It's the first vampire short story, and the headliner is a woman. The idea of the vampire as the cursed undead taken out of the natural cycle of life and death and completely given over to the flesh couldn't be clearer. Brunhilde is brought back from the dead by her husband Walter, who 
conveniently ignores the existence of his second life, oh, second wife, rather. <laughs> I mean, and you know. Basically dedicates, Brunhilde dedicates herself to only two things. Drinking the blood of anyone young and tasty that stumbles across her path and nonstop sexcapades with the seemingly indefatigable Walter. So basically, Walter's like, I'm here, I'm ready, let's go, let's <laughs> Damn, go. Damn, Walter? Yeah. And Walter's a human? And Walter's a human. Okay, he Mr. Humblebrag. <laughs> yeah. Brynhilda is undeniably monstrous in both life and death. She's capricious, cruel, and demanding. It isn't her own desires that turned her into a vampire, though. It was Walter. Walter spends the entire text pretending that nothing is his fault, but he gets devoured by a snake lady in the, in the end. So, you know, all is well that ends One, well. how like men. Two, good <laughs> on you, snake lady. <laughs> right. But he does get a dressing down from Brunhilde, who has basically no time for his whining. She says, <laughs> why dost thou make mouths at me like a puppet? Thou who hadst the courage to love the dead, to take into thy bed one who has been sleeping in the grave, the bel- bedfellow of the worm, who hast clasped in thy lustful arms the, the corruption of the tomb, dost thou unhallowed as thou art, now raise this hideous cry for the sacrifice of a few lives? Oh my god. I love this. We need to make a Brunhilde movie, and we need to call it Wake Not the Dead, because that's incredible. It's basically, you're gonna judge me, mister, I'm fine with fucking vampires, but I'm a little squicky about them eating people? Fuck you. (laughs) So, it basically, Wake Not the Dead mirrors that theological conception of the vampire. It's like a victory of sin and the flesh and vampirism as like a form of embodied damnation but then Mm -hmm. it also like critiques the world that made Brunhilde the way she is so while Brunhilde is condemned it's not that the monstrous female as a sexual deviant is is principally under fire but it's Mm -hmm. the man whose intemperate desires won't even let a woman die in peace yes I love it it's like look she's a monster She's always going to be a monster. Monsters are going to monster. But you, Mr. Spineless, are like, yeah, I'll bone you. Keep it in your pants, clown. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) I love it. All right. So I'm going to real quick just cover Sekhmet. I know I mentioned her last week and we didn't get to her last week. We actually already covered her in our Egypt episode. Woohoo! But in our infinite wisdom. And we didn't put together that she was a vampire. No, we were, because, like, she's the one who has the story where her dad was Ra, the sun god, and Ra Mm -hmm. would send her down to, like, lay down his justice and, like, fight people, and there was one time where he sent her down to fight people because they weren't listening to him, and he was like, I can't stand for this, so he sends his daughter down, and she went, like, so crazed with bloodlust, she was, like, killing everybody, and Ra (laughs) was like, oh, this is maybe, this is maybe a little much for me. Please stop now. But she was so, like, she was super into it. Her bloodlust was too great. She could not stop herself. So she just kept going. She kept going. She kept going. And finally, Ra mixed together pomegranate juice, which is a dark red color, with beer. And he Mm -hmm. made 7,000 jugs of this blood red alcoholic concoction and poured that out into a river. And so Sekhmet, who was, like, in the height of her bloodthirstiness, could not help herself. She's like, I'm going to drink this blood. So she drinks 7,000 jugs of beer. And then laid down to take a nap. (laughs) So she became so drunk that she passed out and slept for three days. And when she woke up, she was no longer bloodthirsty. So that's a real quick refresher on Sekhmet. We knew she was a bloodthirsty goddess. We knew 
that she loved drinking blood and somehow we weren't like, oh, Sekhmet's a vampire. Of course she's a vampire, past Courtney and Sasha. Right? Of course she's a vampire. So that was just a real quick crash course on Sekhmet. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Alright, so I'm just gonna run through the last of the sort of notable female vampires just real quick. And you know, I forgot to say what my sources were earlier. Oh. Wikipedia, girl with her head in a book, Tor, the Mary Sue, and Ranker. Love it. So, not any weird sources. Not today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I got all of those. I went to vampire.com and fucking necrosphere13. The next notable female vampire is Rosalie Hale from Twilight. Hey! Hey! Coded as a bitch and antagonist to Bella Swan, the treatment and writing of Rosalie encompasses all the flaws with how Myers deals with gender. Because Stephanie yep. Myers is terrible at writing female characters and is just She's a terrible, terrible at writing writer all characters, in general. But especially just, females. Stephanie Myers is just not good. <laughs> Don't read Twilight. <laughs> Her origin is as the vain and self-centered daughter of New York elite who is gang-raped and beaten almost to death by her fiancé and his friends. She's turned into a vampire and gets her revenge by killing the men who attacked her. However, she doesn't just kill them. She tortured Royce to death and killed seven men without spilling any of their blood on her white wedding dress. Yeah, that made me like her. (laughs) Yeah, yet even in her tragic backstory, it's the typical trope for a vain socialite to be brought down to earth through tragedy. But still, Mm -hmm. Rosalie gives so little fucks. She's very much like Lestat Mm -hmm. from Interview with the Vampire. She's fashionable, she has no fucks to give, and she's brilliant. It's amazing. We are here for Rosalie Hale. Yep. Yep. (laughs) We've also got Claudia from Interview with a Vampire. She's so sweet, and she's so murderous. And she's so little. The young girl is transformed into a vampire by Lestat after her parents die from the plague and is introduced as a five-year-old crying to her dead mother's rotting body. She's fed on by Louis, who feels bad about it, and then turned by Lestat to be their child and bring the couple closer together. She spends years with them, but slowly realizes that no matter how old she gets, she's going to remain with this child's body, unable to develop into the woman she longs to be. She turns into a more violent creature until she attempts to kill Lestat in order to gain more freedom than he will allow. But Claudia is burned to death for the crime of attempting to kill another vampire. Her presence and legacy continues throughout the series, though, and is basically one of the most chilling and compelling characters throughout all of Anne Rice's works. Then we have Lorena from True Blood, and basically a major issue with how female vampires are written, especially antagonist ones, are that their manipulations are seen as more horrible in contrast to those of their male counterparts. So Mm. with True Blood, Lorena and her manipulations of Bill were, like, could be seen as good, but the same could also be, or were not good, rather, but the same could be said of, like, Bill and Sookie's relationship or Eric and anyone Mm-hmm. Lorena her, is herself a victim of abuse and torture from her own maker, and that's how she learned to exist. And then, basically, when she falls in love with Bill's, Bill, because he's good, it's, like, her way of finding a good man to love and, like, hoping to love her back but also have power over. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's this very strange thing where it's, like, even though there's, like, whole episodes and seasons dealing with, like, the male vampires and their pain and angst and trauma, Lorena's... Mm-hmm. Angst and trauma is only given a few minutes of dialogue, and because she is in the way of Bill and Sookie, she is, like, expendable because she's not a romantic option. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so she's treated very badly. But then there's Drusilla from Buffy. Yay. 
And I was very excited to include Drew here because I know you love Buffy. We do. (laughs) But basically, like, a common disappointment with for fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that, like, there were so few female vampires um, throughout the series. And of those few, one who stood out in particular, though, was Drew. Mm. As a human, she was a psychic and religious woman who could have basically been a saint, but that potential for holiness drew the attention of the vampire Angelus, who tormented her ruthlessly before turning her into a vampire. Yep. Mentally broken because of this, Drusilla is cruel because she was created out of cruelty, kind of the way Lorena was, right? Mm-hmm. She is like Lorena because she's an abuse victim who then abuses others, but she makes for a compelling villain in the series, and yeah, it is a fan favorite because of that. Yeah, And because there are so many female vampires in media, not frequently in the same show, because it seems like you can only have a couple of female vampires here and a couple of female vampires here, but mm. honorable mentions of other notable female vampires include Celine from Underworld, Bella Swan from Twilight, because we have to throw her in there somewhere. She's notable. That doesn't mean she's good. She just <laughs> is famous. She's there. <laughs> she's there. People know who Bella Swan is. Whatever. It's fine. Vampirella. Rain from Blood Rain, the video game, who kills Nazis as well as other bad vampires. So respect, respect. Akasha from Queen of the Damned, Santanico Pandemonium from From Dusk Till Dawn, Ellie from Let the Right One In, and basically every lady from Vampire Diaries, The Vampire Chronicles, and Vampire Academy, <laughs> of which there are many. So amazing. So Too that was list. my notable lady vamps. <laughs> I love it. All right, are we ready to learn how to keep all of these prolific and numerous vampires away from ourselves? Yes, please. Love it. So, according to folklorist Michael Bell, in 18th and 19th century New England alone, there were at least 60 examples of anti-vampire rituals. Ooh. There's a lot. Obviously, yeah. I'm not going to go into all of them because it's just... there. Even if we did 14 vampire episodes, there would still be vampire stuff I could not cover because every culture has its own way of repelling vampires. So it's like, well, I guess this is, you know, okay. Okay. As an aside, the official word for vampire repellents is apotropikes. Okay. (laughs) I put it in my notes. I will probably not use this very much because I'm only like 60% certain I know how to pronounce it. (laughs) And apotropikes is also a generic word. I'm for sure butchering that. (laughs) I'm lowering that to 40%. Past me was a lot more confident than current me. (laughs) That's also the word for anything you use to repel, like, evil in general. So depictions of the evil eye, anything that you would, like, burning white sage, all of these would fall under the ritual of that A word that I'm not going to say again. (laughs) Because they're, you know, repellents. Okay. So... Over the years, a lot of thought went into vampire repellent, particularly around times of plague and widespread disease, like I said Mm. earlier, because vampires are believed to cause and spread these things. So let's get into some of the logic behind it. What if the vampires caused COVID? That's what I'm saying. I mean, no, they didn't. We don't know that they didn't. (laughs) Yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. Mm -hmm. So real quick, we mentioned it earlier, the vampires having to be invited in. Where did this come from? Quick and dirty. It was the early form of stranger danger. So it was ah. the idea to keep children scared from inviting randos into the house. Uh-huh. It was, don't invite anybody in who you don't know, because they could be a vampire. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so it emerged more as a vampires were the general boogeyman than as a vampires have a demonstrated ability not to come into the house. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so that's just, you know, fun, quick one. Sure. <laughs> 
remember Mercy Brown from last week? She yeah. was the one who was accused of being a vampire, got dug up, had her heart and liver cut out, burned, uh, yeah. and then her brother had to eat the ashes. And then he died. And then he died, like, a month later. Yeah. So, turns out, this was an anti-vampire practice from Romania to ward off their Strigoi, which is their, their kind of vampire. Sure. <laughs> I put in my notes, I can't find the logic as to why this was believed to work, but, you know, historical context. Historical context. What even is it? Yeah, it's like, this was, they would fairly regularly, if they thought somebody was a vampire, they would burn their heart and then feed the ashes to the victim. And that was, that was going to be, you know, how they got better. Why? Great way to spread disease. Everything just squicks me out about this episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah, vampires are super squicky. But like, maybe, maybe it was like a vampire vaccine where you get a little bit of the vampire and then you can fight it off. Yeah, it's kind of like when you do a little egg test, when you try to like do egg challenges, when you have egg allergies, you give yourself a little bit of egg powder each day to try to build you you up your tolerance. Yeah. 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 So maybe it was like an early form of that, but because they didn't know about vaccines or gradually building a tolerance to allergies, they were like, I don't know, just eat this fucking ashes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anti-vampire remedy the first. Grains, seeds, or rice. Anything that is small and in a plentiful quantity. Dating back to early Romani custom, if you scatter anything in a large quantity, so that's why grains, seeds, and rice are perfect. Oh. Vampires must stop and count every single piece before moving on. This is amazing because it means that the count from Sesame Street is both canonically, it aligns up with his vampireness because they have to count. Oh and also my means God. somebody from Sesame Street was trying to keep the count occupied. Oh my God. That's why he doesn't eat the other residents of Sesame no. Street because he's so occupied. Because he's got to count shit. Fuck. <laughs> what? So... Romani lore also says you can hang fishing nets over your windows and doors for a similar effect. The vampire has to count the knots in the net and untangle them before going into the home. It's just, it's a weird, it's how vampires are wired. They gotta count shit. They gotta untangle knots. Sorry, I just, like, pulled up (laughs) Count Von Count's Wikipedia page. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know if Sesame Street knew the counting correlation with vampires. I think they were just going for the easy pun of he's a count and he counts. But, you know. (laughs) I like to think there was one person like us in the early days of Sesame Street was like, and what if the vampire counts? And everybody else was like, yeah, like, count Dracula. Ha ha ha. And they were like, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So there's also lore that says that this especially works because vampires can only pick up one thing per year. So if they've already used up their yearly picking things up allotment on a previous scattering of like mustard seeds, they won't be able to chase down you and your rice. Cause they're like, I have to count this rice, but I can't pick it up. So like one, two, three, you know? Yeah. This also reminded me of the Christmas goblins, the Kalikanseroi out of Greece, because they have to count all the holes in a colander if you set one out. But vampires do not have the same thing that Kalikanseroi do, which is Kalikanseroi can only count to three and then they get frustrated and have to start <laughs> over. Have to start over all right, are you ready to move on? Because I can see you're still, your mind is still blown about the count. <laughs> I am, but I just I want to read one line from here. Oh, please do. The, the count has been shown with a number of girlfriends who tend to be vampire countesses. These include Countess von Backwards, who counts backwards, <laughs> Countess Darling von Darling, and one simply <laughs> called the Countess. The von Count family has... It includes an unnamed brother as well as Uncle Uno and grandparents. <laughs> and then he has 
pet bats named Grisha, Misha, Sasha, and Tatiana. You're one of his pet bats. I'm one of his pet bats. Uh, I'm going to change my name to Misha so I can be one of his pet bats, too. Yay. Welcome to Sleep Hour with Misha and Sasha. I like to say... I like to think that he went on, like, a very specific dating site because all of them are countesses. Yeah. And I... I thought of this joke while you were talking, and I was like, this is not funny enough to wait to make it, but guess what? I'm going to do it anyway. The <laughs> website's called Count on Me, and it's ah. just for counts and countesses to find each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> so if you're a countess seeking another countess, if you're a count seeking a count or a count seeking a countess or whatever, you go on countonme.com. <laughs> Amazing. Let's talk about garlic. Garlic is a heavy hitter. We touched on it a little bit last week where people who have porphyria have a really strong reaction to garlic, and so that uh-huh. contributes to it. But garlic as vampire repellent predates the Porphyria connection and can likely be credited back to an outbreak of rabies in the Balkans in the 1720s, to make oh. the link, like, explicit. It, it was likely around before that because they've been using garlic to ward off evil for a long time. Uh-huh. But specifically, the rabies connection, obviously the dogs, wolves, and other animals impacted by the rabies outbreak, they shouldn't have garlic anyway because it's really right. bad for mm-hmm. animals. But... People with rabies can have a hypersensitive response to any strong smell. So, say you're cooking with garlic, or you have garlic nearby, somebody with rabies who has the foaming at the mouth and the inclination to bite other people Uh is going to get a whiff of that garlic and be like, "Ah!" because it hurts. Yeah. So the vampire correlation was natural because you have the symptoms of rabies being, you know, foaming at the mouth, tendency Uh to bite stuff, and, you know, the aversion to garlic. So obviously vampires. Garlic has also been historically used as a folk remedy to repel ticks. So if you have a tick-infested oh. tick animal, you can, like, rub the garlic on them, and then the okay. ticks are like, I'm Audi 5000. I put in my notes, what is a tick if not a tiny asshole vampire? <laughs> it is! I was feeling very spicy earlier today. It is a tiny asshole vampire! <laughs> That's all it is! Oh. It's like them and fucking mosquitoes. Fuck that noise. <laughs> Next up, crucifixes, holy water, and other religious paraphernalia. This is pretty basic. The vampire is thought to be a creature without a soul that is antithesis to any god or holy figure, so obviously any representation of anything holy, be it a Star of David, a cross, holy water, whatever, it's going to repel them because they're so evil, they're like, oh no, religious good, I can't. (laughs) Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) Realized I wasn't doing enough of a vampire impression. (laughs) I also suspect that this ties back into Lilith because Lilith had struck that deal yeah. with those three angels. So I I couldn't find any conclusive proof that this was also part of the connection. But I think I would imagine it would come back to Lilith, who's like, fuck you, organized religion and bounces. Yeah. So maybe that's why vampires don't like it, too. Aha. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Ah, ah, ah. Things to think about. Things to think about. This I, I have so much to think about. Like this, I love it. This whole this vampire is a... series is like making me think about a lot of things. <laughs> Vampires are real thinkers. You know, it's a real heady topic. It's a real heady topic. So let's talk about stakes through the heart. This is the hashtag iconic way to kill a vampire. <laughs> Buffy did it. I believe they do it on True Blood. It's like, how do you kill a vampire? Stake through the heart. So... This originated literally everywhere around the world. There's no, like, one single source of it. Like, everybody had, like, slight variations of it. So it's like, who did it first? I DK. Bro, I just DK. In Serbia, the stake was typically made out of hawthorn or ash trees. This is also seen in Romani lore, where ash and blackthorn, along with juniper and rowan, are good vampire-repellent woods. Pliny the Elder explains the ash connection. All evil things fear the ash tree. 
In Norse mythology, the tree of life, or Yggdrasil, was an ash tree. So, obviously, evil's not going to like what originated life. Yeah. Sometimes Aspen is cited as as a particularly effective vampire staking thing because... The cross upon which Christ was killed was allegedly an aspen. So that gets oh. the extra dose of, like, religious stuff as you stab them. Yeah. The efficacy of the stake also varies how you do it. Sometimes you drive it directly into the heart of the vampire. Obviously, that's the case in modern lore. Sure. Other times, you drive the stake into the grave of the suspected vampire. So it's not to kill them. It's to stick them to their grave so they can't get out of it uh, and go wandering. That's So like they just the, wake up and they're like, okay. The girl that you, yeah. Yeah, like Mercy yeah. Brown. Mercy Brown. We put the stake yeah. in her so that she can't go wandering. Go, uh, yeah. So, it wasn't to kill her. She's not dead in there. She's just stuck. Oh. Other times, you would drive the stake into the grave that was next to the suspected vampire, uh-huh. which would undo or pre- prevent their transformation into a bloodsucker. As oh. far as I can tell, based on, like, there's a there's a ton of lore, and I did a lot of reading. Like I said, I cannot get to the bottom of who did it first, you guys. But... I think it started less about sticking stuff into vampires and more about the protective qualities of the wood. Because, ah. like, there's a lot of lore about, like, if you keep this wood in your home, it's going to ward off general evil. And if you keep sure. this wood in your home. And so it became more about exposing them to this holy wood, this good wood that's going to keep them away. I mean, good wood's going to keep a lot of things away. Am I right, ladies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more about the protective qualities of the wood than it was about, like, getting at the heart. Oh. But... Who else do we blame but Bram Stoker credited with the sticking stuff in part of it because <laughs> Dracula meets his end with a knife to the heart. Gotcha. So that's it's possible that it was just like a couple different things getting folded in together as well, where it's like, well, <gasps> we know these trees, vampires don't like it. So I bet if we stabbed them with this tree, they're really not going to like it. I, I was going to say, like, the movie, I'm going to keep plugging this. It's not the best movie, but it was fun. The Vampires versus the Bronx. It was Mm -hmm. fun. But, like, basically when these, like, middle school age kids are trying to figure out how do we kill vampires, they look at, like, all this different vampire media, and they're, like, making a list of everything, every single possible thing. That's basically spoop hour research. Let's be real. (laughs) Right. And they just take anything that could remotely help them. They make water balloons out of holy water that they stole from their church. Yeah, that's something I didn't get into. Communion wafers, those will work. You put them in a vampire's mouth, it'll stop them. So they went to church and, like, they got their (laughs) communion and they didn't chew it and they just pick it out of their mouth and put it in their pocket. I would imagine the communion line would also work. Like, it's literally incense. There's some lore about, like, you light a candle because the candle represents daylight. And we all know that vampires don't like daylight, so you light the candle and the vampire stays away. Genuinely, so many things repel vampires, you guys. One of my favorite characters in that movie is of Mm. Jamaican descent. And she Mm. was like, my grandma prepared me for this. (laughs) She's like, I know how we're going to kill them. (laughs) She's like, everybody sit down and take notes. I got this. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so I do recommend that if you just want like a nice Halloween laugh. Because it's, it's, it's not like scary, scary. I watched it yeah. and I'm scared of a lot of things and do not do Halloween movies very well. And I have made room in my heart for Vampires versus the Bronx. I love it. Yeah. All right. So that's part two of our vampire episode. Someday we're going to do another part because 
We are not done talking about vampires. No, there's we can do this. so much to talk there's about. There's so with much. It's just so prevalent. Every culture has a vampire, mm-hmm. and every culture's vampire is maybe just a tiny little bit different than the other culture's vampire. But they also like heard that they used ash trees to stake them, so maybe they folded that in because they were using juniper. Like, yeah, it's, it's bananas. <laughs> it's so I much. Love it. Cross cultural vampirism. Yes, Ooh. we support the cross cultural exchange of vampires. So. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Promote cross-culturalism in your own life. Have Email sweetbower gmail.com. Follow have us Have a safe on... and happy Halloween. Follow yes, us be everywhere. safe. You know, I've decided that be because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how my neighborhood's doing Halloween, so I'm going to make a box look like a spooky castle and fill it with little individual Ziploc bags of candy so kids can just grab a thing of candy. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to breathe anybody else's air. You just grab a thing of candy and you keep walking. And it's going to look like a spooky castle. So, you know, yeah. be safe. Make it's good choices. You know, wear your mask. Wash your hands. Please go vote. Make your plan. For please. God's sake, please. Please. S- send us your voting selfies. Yeah, we'll send you some stickers. You know, tell us your Halloween plans. Tell yeah. us your favorite vampire. Did we miss it? We're very sorry. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's possible we miss it. There's so goddamn many many. vampires. (laughs) So if you're sitting there and you're like, I can't believe you didn't talk more about the Sturgoy. I'm sorry, too. Your favorite Halloween movies. How are you celebrating Halloween? Right? Yes. Like, what what movies put you in the Halloween mood? What I love is Nightmare Before Christmas because you can watch it in October and December. It's true. I consider that more a Christmas movie, but my meetup group on Friday, we're having a remote watch party and watching Hocus Pocus, which for me is like, that's the Halloween, like, it's Hocus Pocus, baby. That and like what we do in the shadows. Yeah, this week I'm trying to make time to watch what we do in the shadows, Hocus Pocus, Mm -hmm. and Beetlejuice, because I haven't seen Beetlejuice, the film, in a really long time. I saw the musical last year, but... Mm -hmm. It's not the same. Yeah, it's just not the same. I want to watch the Winona Ryder one. Yeah. So what are your favorite Halloween movies? What are your Halloween plans? Are you guys playing Among Us? I tried playing with randos this weekend because I just wanted to get a feel for it because I want to play with people I actually know. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to use the lingo of teens because I didn't want them to think I was some like creepy 31-year-old woman being like, (laughs) hello, fellow kids. So I was using the language of sus and where was the body because that's what they all ask is where. (laughs) And none of them suspected. They all thought I was a teen boy based on the pronouns they used and how they communicated with me. So I blended in a champ. So are you playing Among Us? How's it going? (laughs) You know, hang in there. Drink some water. We love you. Have some apple cider. We love you. Be safe. Don't let anybody in your fucking house. 